Welcome to Ellison's Connects, the official podcast by Ellison Solicitors, where we bring together expert professionals from a wide range of areas to discuss key developments and trends. In this episode, we'll be talking about key considerations when buying a property. I'm Spencer Davis, Business Development Consultant, and I'm joined by my colleague, Rebecca Hempstead, Partner and Head of Residential Property Team. Hello. Hello, Rebecca. So, Rebecca, just to help us out, can you give us a little bit of a background of yourself and when you got started in property? Okay. I am a legal executive. I qualified as a legal executive in 2002, so that's 20 years this year that I have been qualified. I have been doing residential conveyancing since 2005. I've worked in a couple of high street firms and I joined Ellison's eight years ago. And how many offices do you look after? So we have five offices. Um, We cover Colchester, Tendering, Ipswich, Bury, and Chelmsford. And I was promoted to head of department about 18 months ago. So I'm in charge of all of the offices, which cover around 25 members of staff. So it's quite a big department. And that's not just Essex and Suffolk, that's beyond as well, is it? Yes, yeah. Although obviously our offices are based in the locations I've just said, yes, we do cover as far as, as anyone wants to buy. I've acted for people in, you know, as far as Cornwall and up north. So Okay. But from what I understand, it's only England and Wales we don't do work in no, Scotland. No, we don't do Scotland because it's a completely different right. law. Okay. If we take this from the beginning, the purchase of a property, should I be speaking to a solicitor before I find a property to purchase or wait until my offer's been accepted? Ideally, you should speak to a solicitor before. The vast majority of people, unfortunately, don't. But my strong advice to people would be speak to someone, first of all, you know, when you're just even looking or um, thinking of buying a property because that will give you a bit of an advantage when you come to putting an offer in. It also gives you an opportunity to speak, especially if you're a first-time buyer, to speak to the lawyer and find out the process for first-time buyers and even people that have bought before. It's quite a daunting process. I think it's fair to say that divorce and house buying are supposed to be two of the most stressful things (laughs) that you go through. So it's always good to, you know, make a connection with a friendly lawyer at the start and get to understand what you need to do before you even make an offer. And that would also probably help someone budget with the cost because I understand buying and selling properties can be quite expensive. So for a first time buyer, what should they be looking out for and what sort of costs would they be expecting in the process? So if you are phoning around and getting quotes, which obviously a lot of first time buyers do, you will be given the basic legal fee by a lawyer, which will be obviously their fee for their work. You'll then also have um, other costs such as they're called disbursements. They are costs largely made to third parties. So it will be things like your search fees, your land registry fee, your stamp duty. Those fees will not change from firm to firm. It's a bit like a tax. You you have to pay that. Yeah, you do have to pay that. What I would say is, especially when you're phoning for quotes, I would always get a quote in writing or by email because there are a lot of firms that will give you the initial cost. But then once you have um, instructed them and perhaps paid them some money, you will then find out there's a lot of additional hidden charges. Um, at Ellison's, we don't do that. We are completely upfront with our costs. And you know when we tell you the figure, that is what you will pay. The only time that we would increase the figure was if something happened during the transaction that we weren't aware of. But we would always tell you that in advance. We wouldn't, we're wouldn't. we not the type of firm that would just add on charges and, and present you with a bill at the end. Okay. So if I've, I've chosen to instruct Ellison's, I'm a first-time buyer, 
will I need to pay you anything up front? You know, is, is it front-loaded or do I pay at the end? What, what's the procedure? It's largely at the end. The only thing we ask for up front is £300 for search fees. Everything else is payable on exchange completion. So before exchange, we ask for your deposit and then on completion, you pay the balance. You say deposit. Um, I hear sort of 5 and 10%. Why does that vary? Generally, it's 10%. Legally, the seller is entitled to ask for a 10% deposit. Sometimes, obviously, especially first-time buyers in the market that we're in at the moment, sometimes they may be getting a 95% mortgage, so they may not have that 10% deposit. That's not a problem. It's just we need to know that from the start, really, so that we can tell the sellers and their solicitors that there's only going to be a 5% right. deposit available. Is it difficult to instruct a solicitor? I mean, what, what's the process? I've, I've said, fine, I've accepted your, your costs. What actually happens? What do you need from me? No, it's not difficult. I mean, certainly at Ellison's, we try to make it as painless as possible and as easy as possible. Um, we totally appreciate that for first-time buyers, they've never done it before. You know, we are happy to hold their hand every single step of the way. And in our initial client care letter and our client care pack that goes out, there is a detailed explanation of how the legal process works so they know exactly what to expect. If I give you a very brief summary of what would happen so you would instruct Ellison's we would then get the file opened we would contact the estate agents and get their sales details we would send you our client care pack which is everything that we need from you all the information we need from you to establish contract between us we would then write to the seller solicitors and ask for the contract pack once we get the contract pack we would then apply for the searches Searches generally take around four weeks. Largely depends on the councils, but that's kind of the time around that we're looking at. Will I actually need to come and see you, though, that part of this instruction process? I'm I'm working in London. You're at the Frinton office or Ipswich office. What's our relationship? Can we be done by the phone? or? Yeah, we can act for you over the phone or by email. Obviously, in the climate today, a lot of people just deal with us by email and by telephone. We ask for certified copies or copies, sorry, of your ID and proof of address. And we match them. We also do what's called a smart search, which is a soft search on you just to check that you are who you say you are. And we match that against your proof of ID, providing that that's all fine. There's no need for you to come in. The only reason we'd ask for you to come in is if there was a, some kind of an issue. That rarely happens. But just to clarify something for me, first-time buyers, because of probably buying in a lower price range, I understand most will be buying a flat. So that's leasehold. What's the main difference between freehold and leasehold? What's that really mean? That's a bit of a minefield of a question, Spencer. <laughs> Legally speaking, the freehold means you are buying the property and the land that it sits on. The difference with a leasehold is means that you are just buying the property. The freeholder will own the actual land. Generally, a house will be a freehold property and a flat will be a leasehold property. In terms of what that means for you and probably more importantly for us is there's a lot more work involved with a leasehold purchase so whilst a lot of first-time buyers will buy leasehold properties unfortunately they because they think they're cheaper they can come a bit unstuck because legal fees will be a lot more yes. and 
They also need to look out for things like service charges and ground rent. So there's more things I would have to budget for, so it's not yeah. just the, my mortgage payments not and paying all. lawyers. No, okay. not at all. Also, when you're buying, often you will have to serve a notice of assignment on the landlord. You would maybe have to enter into a deed of covenant. These are all things that the solicitors would do for you, but they will all have extra fees payable to the landlords. I would estimate that if you're buying a leasehold property, often the extra disbursements would be around one to two thousand pounds wow that's a lot of money mm. because also often they will the landlord will want you to pay the service charge up to the year end so if you're buying in march and the year end is december you would have to pay you're all of that in, advance. in advance wow okay and surveys is that something that you organize for me or, or should i be having a survey what's what's the what's the yeah routine? i mean generally if you were buying a leasehold property i wouldn't tell you to have a survey if you're buying a freehold property it largely depends on the age if you're buying a property maybe 10, 20 years old, potentially a survey isn't necessary. But if you're buying an older property, then I would always say have a survey. We don't arrange it. We do have some surveyors that we can recommend to you, but that's for you to recommend right. to arrange. But the lender will send someone out, but that's not really a survey, is it? Or... No, I mean, every lender is different. So right. some lenders will do a really basic, almost drive-by, literally. Some, I think you can probably pay extra to get more of a detailed survey done but i wouldn't rely on what the mortgage company do i hear some stories of some transactions going through really quickly and then other horror stories where things take up a month of sundays why is that is there an average period of time or is it depends on the situation it does totally depend on the situation the the average conveyancing time i think we say is around 12 to 16 weeks but it largely depends on the length of the chain if you're a first-time buyer and you're buying from someone, say, a probate sale, so it's just you and the seller, then that could go through really quickly. But it will depend on when your mortgage offer gets issued, you know, what the inquiries we have to raise. There's a, there's a number of factors that can make it a lot of a longer process, sadly. Right. The survey, is that um, the same thing as an EPC? What's, what's that? No. So an EPC is an NG performance certificate that is provided by the seller's at the, right at the start of the transaction. So it should be one of the first things that we get when we get the contract pack. The EPC basically says how energy efficient the property is. It'll have a rating. A bit like a fridge or a television. So you've got a... Yeah, yeah. Okay. It has a rating to... And obviously at the moment, with bills being as they are, people do pay attention to it. Okay. My mortgage company, I, I filled out my mortgage forms. Um, do you need to contact them or would they contact you? What's the relationship there? Because I assume... When the offer comes out, you need the money to help me purchase. When you are looking for a mortgage, when you found a mortgage or when you are going through a broker, we would ask you to give them our details. They will then send us the mortgage okay. offer. We get a slightly different mortgage offer to what the buyer gets as is a legal copy. So it will have certain requirements that we will have to make sure we can satisfy. We will then deal with, once we've exchanged, we will then deal with sending the request to the mortgage company for your mortgage monies. We we deal with all of that. You don't have to worry about any of that. You mentioned earlier about sort of inquiries and things like that. When they all come back, is that it done? Do I get the keys? Or is there still more work to be done? <laughs> no, there's quite a lot more to be done. Okay. <laughs> so once we have raised inquiries and obviously got replies to inquiries, once we've got our search results, we look through all of them. That Generally, that process will go quite quiet then for a buyer. Um, here at Ellison's, we are really proactive and we continually keep our clients updated. There's a lot of firms that 
don't ever speak to their clients unless their clients call them. Is that because they're really busy taking on too much? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it can be quite a difficult area of law to make a profit in. So at Ellison's, we are not concerned with cutting costs. Our main priority is giving excellent customer service. Mm. And I will say to, you know, my team that they should be keeping their clients updated every couple of weeks, even if it's just to say, we have nothing to tell you, mm. but, you know, this is what's happening. Yeah, no news is not always good news. Exactly. So. so once we have all our replies from clients and our searches and our mortgage offer, then we prepare what's called a purchase report to the client. That is really the most important part from the client's point of view because that gives them all the information they need to know about the property. So we prepare an actual pack in a binder or it is emailed to people sometimes it is quite a lot of information so it depends whether someone wants to look at it on a screen or whether they want the hard copy even in today's society a lot of people still like the hard copy they take it away and they keep it in their ring binder and that as i say that details everything you need to know about so it's more of a sort of summary you're pointing things yes. out so, okay yeah understand. at that point we also send them all the documents to sign so the contract transfer the mortgage deed so do i need to come in to see you to do that again no they do need to be witnessed the documents do need to be witnessed and they need to be by someone independent so it can't be a member of your family but as you can get a neighbor to do it or a friend to do it Sometimes people do come in because they like to come in and meet us. It is probably one of the areas of law, I would say, where people do still like to meet their solicitor. Why not? Exactly. Which is nice. It's one of the good parts of the job, meeting your clients. So just to recap, you've sent me this lovely pack. I've, I've understood it or asked a few more questions. I've signed everything and I've got it back to you. Is that when you need the deposit or does that come later yeah, on? that's exactly when I'd ask for the deposit. Assuming that I was happy with everything, assuming that the client was happy with everything, I would then say, can you transfer your deposit? Obviously, generally, people will do it by bank transfer. Not checks anymore. No. And assuming then that everyone in the chain is ready, we would then exchange. When we exchange, that is, this is a case where a lot of people don't understand the legal process at all. And they will say, well, what happens when we actually exchange? Do I need to physically be in the office? Do I need to be ready on the end of the phone? Exchange is a legal process that takes place between the two solicitors, whereby we do it over the phone. But will I get a say in when we complete? Oh, I'm really keen yeah. to get my keys. Yeah, totally. Generally, nowadays, you only have maybe a week or two between exchange and completion. Wow. Unless there's a reason that someone else wants longer. If they need longer to clear the property, then you might do. But generally, it's only a week or two. But they have to move out the day I get my keys. They move out on the completion date. So when we exchange, that is the that is when the completion date is set. And that is when the whole transaction becomes legally binding. So it's quite important to note that prior to that, prior to exchange, anyone can pull out at any stage and there's no financial penalty to anyone. Right, but after exchange, I'm committed. After exchange, you are committed, the seller is committed. If you were to pull out after exchange or if you couldn't complete on the day that we were supposed to complete on, there could be severe financial penalties to you. Right, okay. Insurances and things like that, it's obviously, I understand I need to organise my own insurance, but... When should I be doing that? So buildings insurance, we always recommend that it's in place on exchange of contracts. Obviously, that's only applying to a freehold property. If you're buying a leasehold property, then 99 times out of 100, the landlord will insure the okay. property. So that that's taken care of by a management yeah. company? Okay. Contents insurance obviously should be in place on completion because you're not moving in until then, so your contents aren't in there. 
Right. And do I, again, do I need to be around on completion because I'm busy working and it's completion, say, on a Friday? Do I need to take the day off? Do I no, have to be not there? necessarily. Obviously, if there is an estate agent, we would always recommend that you actually speak to the estate agent if you're not going to get the keys on the day and make sure that the estate agent is going to be open the following day. Or, you know, sometimes buyers and sellers actually meet each other at the property and physically hand the keys over. But if you don't, if you don't want to be there or you can't be there on the completion date, that's not a major problem. So... It's completed. I've got my keys. Surely that's it. You've done your job and we shake hands and everyone's happy. From the client's point of view, that's probably the job over. From our point of view, we have to. the most important thing is we have to get the property registered in your name at the land registry. Um, that's something that we have to do. It's not something for you to worry about. But obviously, if you have a solicitor who isn't that proactive, you might just want to get on the phone and check what's happening because there has been instances, you know, where people's property is never registered and legally speaking, then you don't actually own it. Wow. So it's like the logbook of a car. You're, you're putting my name yeah. onto the ownership documents. Yeah. It's all done electronically at the land registry. It's all, all the records are stored electronically. So we make a electronic application and then we send you the paper copy. You made show. it sound very simple, but I'm sure it's not. <laughs> well, if everything goes smoothly, it is. Conveyancing's fine as long as you have another good solicitor on the other side <laughs> that's when it all goes wrong you rely on a lot of cooperation yeah you do yeah which in in colchester is great because we have a really good working relationship with a lot of the other local firms so you can pick the phone up and you're on first name terms and if there's a problem you know you can you can just speak to them it becomes more difficult when you have the the firms that you don't really know you know the, the nationwide firms looking around you see different law firms with um, say the solicitors or licensed conveyances, is that something I should be looking at? Is there a big difference for me as a consumer? Um, I would say no. There are firms that are licensed conveyances. They will tend to be slightly smaller firms, and obviously they will only specialise in conveyancing. Ellison's are a law firm, so we are a firm of solicitors. That said, we do have a lot of people with different qualifications. So the main three qualifications really are either a solicitor, a licensed conveyancer or a legal executive. I'm obviously the last of those. In the residential conveyancing department, we have a mixture of all of those three, which is good. That gives us a broad range. The licensed conveyancer course is obviously very specialised to conveyancing. The solicitor route is a law degree, so that will cover every area of law, same as the Silex route, the legal executive route. One thing I would like to say, actually, and when you're looking at different firms of solicitors or licensed conveyances is just check maybe the qualifications of the people that you're instructing before you instruct them because at Ellison's we only have qualified lawyers acting on your file so the main fee earner will also be a will always sorry be a qualified lawyer either Silex licensed conveyancer or solicitor so whilst you've got lots of people within conveyancing I'll be I'll have access to a, a, a lawyer that can look after me. Yes, yes. The main fee owner will always be qualified. Often they are assisted by a trainee and then obviously there are secretaries, there are admin people, but you will always have a dedicated, qualified person. That's reassuring. Which isn't the case in a lot of other firms. For me as an individual, does that make a big difference? Um, no. The only thing I would say is that some mortgage companies will not allow you to instruct a firm if they haven't got a certain number of partners or if they are not on their panel of approved solicitors. So at Ellison's, 
largely speaking, the bigger the firm, the more established the firm, the more likely they are going to be on everyone's, on every mortgage company's panel. So at Ellison's, we are on virtually all the panels. And if we're not on a panel for a really obscure mortgage company, then we can apply. But the the smaller firms, the maybe if there's just a one man band, you might find that they're not gonna gonna be on the panel. And if they're not on the panel, you can't act for them. Yeah, I'm buying. I've got a good deposit. You know, family have helped me out. Is it okay for me just to send you the twenty, thirty, forty thousand pounds? No. So one of the questions that when we start the process, we send you out a general questionnaire there's quite a few questions in that about how you're funding the the transaction you know about who's living there the other kind of questions that we need to know one of those questions obviously is if you're getting are you getting money from a third party if you're getting a gift from your parents for example we would contact your parents we'd write to them and just ask them to confirm that it's a gift we would also ask for their proof of funds and we would have to tell the mortgage company you have to be quite thorough then. When Very thorough, up. yeah. I think residential conveyancing is the highest risk in any area of law. It has the most claims against it, so we have to be really careful. Um, we ask for proof of funds for in every every case. If I'm buying with somebody else, be it a partner or a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever, does it make much difference in a legal process on on how we buy the property you know is it owned by both of us for example yeah that's a good question so there are two ways in which you can own a property jointly with somebody either joint tenants or tenants in common joint tenants basically means that you both own the property equally if either of you were to pass away sadly then the deceased share would pass automatically to the survivor that's regardless of whether you're married regardless of your wills that is the law if you're joint tenants so generally speaking you only want to hold the property as joint tenants if you are married and if you have contributed equally. What you don't want is one person contributing the entire deposit, the other person contributing nothing, and then it all goes wrong. You split up or something and the other person is legally entitled to 50% regardless of what's been put in. So you're saying it can be held in different shares then? So the alternative way is tenants in common. If you hold as tenants in common, then you can actually split the property in shares. You can have what's called a deed of trust where you can actually have it. We would draw a document up for you, which would say Mr. Smith had put in £10,000. And if you split up or anything happens, Mr. Smith gets his £10,000 back and the remainder is split equally between Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You can actually hold it in different shares, like you say. So you could have 60% to Mr. Smith and 40% to Mrs. Smith. You can even, if you've been given a gift or loan, as it were, from a parent, you can actually have a deed of trust that says that if anything were to happen, the parents would get back whatever they'd invested into it. So there's a lot lot of different ways to protect your interests, but that's really important and unfortunately I've had quite a few cases where you know people are in love and they say no it's fine it's fine I'm contributing 50,000 she's never going to leave me and then it all goes wrong and then they lose their their 50,000. You did actually say wills in the other statement is it important for people do I have to make a will if I'm buying a property or is it recommended? You don't have to make a will but we would always recommend it and I think making a will is one of the things that no one wants to think about because you don't want to think about dying but they're relatively cheap for how important they are and 
we would always recommend once you purchase property, you know, obviously what your assets have greatly changed. So we have a really good private client department here that are more than happy to discuss everything with you after completion. So you can take care of everything for me. Yes, we can take care of everything at Ellison's. We cover every single area of law you could think of almost. Well, I've taken an awful lot, but I'm trying to think, what have I missed? What sort of other tips would there be out there to help me with my first purchase? I think my main tip, my main tip would be you get what you pay for and do not just phone around and get the cheapest quote because, you know, I have been doing this job for a long time and the amount of people, and I do get, we do get clients that will phone and even existing clients that will phone and say, well, I've used you before and you were brilliant, but I've got a cheaper quote. They will go somewhere else and they will then come back, sometimes halfway through the transaction, and say, I really wish I hadn't done that. And can I now instruct you? Moving solicitors halfway through the transaction is not ideal. Obviously, you've got the cost and you've got the time. Yes, we, you know, I am not going to lie to you at Ellison's. We are not the cheapest firm, but you get what you pay for. And you can walk into our offices whenever you want whenever we're open you can pick up the phone you can drop us an email you will always get a response we are not the type of firm that has this email footer saying we will take two days or three days to get back to you certainly in my department we try to return everybody's call that same day or that or email that same day if somebody is off somebody else will cover so that would be my top tip yeah please don't don't just go for the cheapest quote because you might save yourself £500, but actually it might take three months longer than it would have done if you'd have instructed us. Good advice. Thank you for listening to Ellison's Connect, and many thanks to Rebecca for joining me in this episode. Any additional guides and insights we have mentioned today will be available on our website. We hope you found this episode insightful. If you'd like to discuss anything further on this subject, then please do get in touch with us via our website, ellisonsolicitors.com. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social channels to keep up to date with latest news and insights. Any information shared on this podcast was accurate at the time of the recording. However, we advise speaking to your usual Ellison's advisor to make sure there hasn't been any changes since. Thank you to podtalk.co.uk for producing this podcast series. Mm-hmm.